Welcome to episode 101, a 34-part episode on Catholicism 101, the foundations of our Catholic faith. These episodes originally premiered on YouTube. You can find the original video linked in the description to this episode, as well as a discussion guide for your benefit and whoever you might be listening with. A friendly reminder and invitation to please, if you have not yet done so, please rate and review this podcast. It helps other people find it. It's such a great way to get this podcast out there and for you to share it with others. But remember, the highest compliment you could pay this podcast and myself is to share this episode or any episode on social media. And you can do that by simply posting it on your story or tagging us in a post. At Mana Food for Thought is our Instagram handle. At Mana F4T is our Twitter and our Facebook page is just Mana Food for Thought. You can find all of that on our website, manafoodforthought.com, as well as all of our previous content. And if you'd like to become a financial sponsor for as little as $1 a month, you can do that by clicking on the Patreon tab on our website. If you have not yet done so, I really want to invite you to check out our friends at Thrive Coffee. It's Coffee with a Mission. Their website is drinkthrive.org, and they are a nonprofit craft coffee roaster in Richmond, Virginia. They use coffee to create careers and training opportunities for individuals with disabilities. Uh, they ship nationwide. Their beans are locally roasted in small batches. They make blends, and three bags sold pays for one hour of work for their differently abled employees. So go to drinkthrive.org, buy a few bags, and if you use promo code MANA, M-A-N-N-A, at checkout, you will get 15% off your first order. With that being said, enjoy the next installment in episode 101, a 34-part episode on Catholicism 101. Enjoy. Imagine that you didn't do laundry for an entire year. You would be swimming in an insurmountable pile of messy laundry. Or imagine, let's say that you didn't pay your credit card bill for an entire year and you just let it rack up and rack up. Suddenly it would become an impossible amount. That is what sin feels like on our soul. We need to regularly cleanse ourselves and be healed to be reconciled with God. It's a lot easier to do laundry a few times a week to stay on top of it than once a year. And the same thing is true when we're seeking the healing that Jesus wants to give us. In fact, the first reason that the Catechism gives for why Jesus became man in the first place was to reconcile us with God, which means to put us back in right relationship with Him and correct the separation that we experience because of sin. He came to heal both the soul and the body. We see this played out in the story of the paralytic in the Gospel of Mark. Remember, Jesus is in a room, he's in his home, he's crowded by all of these people, and these guys bring their friend on a mat to be healed by Jesus, but it's so crowded they can't get in that they tear the roof off the house and lower him down. And it says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, child, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes who were sitting there asking themselves, why does this man speak that way? He's blaspheming. But who alone, who but God alone can forgive sins? Jesus immediately knew in his mind what they were thinking to themselves. So he said, why are you thinking such things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, rise, pick up your mat and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins on earth, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your mat and go home. He rose, picked up his mat at once, and went away in the sight of everyone. They were all astounded and glorified God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Jesus heals both the body 
and the soul. And later on the cross, Jesus bore the full weight of evil and removed its power over us. Then he proved his power over it and his body by rising from the dead. That is what he promises each of us, healing and new life, both in this life and in the next, body and soul. Now the church continues that healing ministry of Jesus through two sacraments of healing. And those sacraments are anointing of the sick and reconciliation or confession. Now anointing of the sick is pretty straightforward. Questions don't often come up <clears throat> asking like, why does the church want sick people to be well? Like, kind of makes sense. But it's important to point out that this sacrament is not only for those who are at the end of their life. Its practice today should not be confused with last rites that people might have commonly remembered or received in times past. It says in the Catechism that the anointing of the sick is not a sacrament for those who are at the point of death. Hence, as soon as anyone of the faithful begins to be in danger of death from sickness or old age, the fitting time for him to receive this sacrament has certainly already arrived. So it's not only for those who are at the point of death, but it really anyone. So if you're having major surgery, if you come down with a serious illness, if you receive a difficult diagnosis, uh, whatever it may be, even if you're just older and getting weaker from old age, you can receive this sacrament. You can receive it multiple times. There's no limit to God's desire to heal us in either of these sacraments, anointing of the sick or reconciliation. And often when this sacrament is received at the end of life, it is accompanied by reconciliation and the Eucharist. And that Eucharist is often called viaticum, which means food for the journey before that person is about to pass on. Now, if a person's not able to receive reconciliation before they receive the sacrament, the church actually teaches that their sins are still forgiven when they receive anointing of the sick because God never tires of forgiving us. Remember, every sacrament is a visible sign instituted by Christ and entrusted to the church to give grace. And so the visible sign of anointing of the sick is the oil of healing. It and all the other oils are blessed by the bishop once a year, and they're kept in a place called an ambry, and ours is in the back of our church, but it's a place where the sacred oils um, used in the church's sacraments are kept and displayed. This was instituted by Christ. Well, there are countless examples of Jesus healing people. It's one of his main things. Um, and he specifically, though, commissions the disciples to do the same. He says this at the end of the Gospel of Mark. He said to them, Go into the whole world and proclaim the gospel to every creature. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. These signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons, they will speak new languages, they will pick up serpents with their hands, and if they drink any deadly thing, it will not harm them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. And then we see this in the letter of James, practically in the exact same way we celebrate this sacrament today. He says, is anyone among you sick? He should summon the presbyters, the priests of the church, and they should pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick person and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed any sins, he will be forgiven. I mean, that's pretty clear how that was given by Christ and continued to be practiced in the early church all the way until today. And lastly, the sacrament gives grace because the healing power of Jesus is in us, working to heal the body and the soul. Oftentimes we might hope for physical healing and ignore the healing that actually matters the most because eventually we will all die. And the health of our soul is what determines our destiny, not the health or scars of our body. But that is why we need also the sacrament of reconciliation. This is a sacrament that people often have a lot of questions about. You know, why do I have to confess my sins to a priest? Will he judge me? Will he tell anyone? What do I say? How does that even work? 
Now, let me start with this and encourage you that 100% of people who make a valid confession come out forgiven. 100%. Jesus wants to heal you. Reconciliation is not a judge's chamber or a courtroom where we fear judgment. It is a welcoming back home, a warm embrace of a proud father in heaven, so happy that we are back in right relationship with him. The reality is that we all sin. It says in Romans 3, all have sinned and are deprived of the glory of God. So the church asks us to receive the sacrament of reconciliation at least once a year, usually during the season of Lent. However, like laundry and credit card debt, it is a good practice to go more frequently, something like once a month or as often as you are able and feel that you would like to go. Now, the visible sign of reconciliation is actually the priest, specifically the words the priest speaks over us, the words of absolution. This is because when priests celebrate all the sacraments, they do it in persona Christi, which means in the person of Christ, meaning that the priest is really a vessel and we're actually confessing our sins to Jesus. Now, why can't we say them then to, directly to Jesus in prayer? Now, if you go back to episode seven, you'll remember there's a difference between little sins, which are called venial sins, and mortal sins, which are serious sins that separate us from God. Now, the venial sins we commit, we can absolutely ask forgiveness from God in prayer. We don't need to go to confession for those. But when we go to confession, we are required to say all of our mortal sins, those serious sins, and we have to say them in number and in kind. I did this thing this many times. Now, you don't have to tell your whole life story and background, but you can be specific enough so the priest knows what you're talking about. These separate us from God and from the community, and because of their seri seriousness, we then need to go to someone who's a representative of both God and the community. And that is the person of the priest who's been trained and ordained with the authority given by Jesus to forgive those sins. So before we go into the confessional and experience that visible sign, we should do something called an examination of conscience. Now, there are many of these online, and most of them are basically a reflection on the Ten Commandments. They help illuminate the ways that we've turned away from God or fallen short since our last confession. If it's your first confession when you go, you can reflect on your whole life, but you really only need to confess those sins you've committed since your baptism. Because remember, baptism forgives all of your sins. However, sometimes people like to make what's called a general confession. Usually you want to make an appointment to do this so you don't hold up the line, but it's basically you can talk about all the things that have happened in your life and you can even say things that you've already confessed just to help give context or if you still feel some kind of guilt or shame or if you held something back um, that you are desiring to get off your chest and want to be relieved. Now people will often do this with someone that they want to become their regular confessor, a priest that they want to go to confession with every time. So when they first meet the priest, they can get to know them by doing this, and then they don't have to explain certain things over and over again to a new priest. They don't have to give background every time they go. And it helps because someone is there keeping you accountable. You know when you sin, I've got to go tell Father so-and-so this next Saturday. But nonetheless, once you reflect and know all the sins, the mortal sins especially that you need to confess, along with any venial sins that you would like to mention, you can go to a parish's general times for confessions, or you can usually call to set up an appointment. When you walk into the confessional, you can usually either sit face to face with the priest or you can go behind a screen for anonymity. Now, there's really no difference because Jesus knows either way. And the priests, they hear so many confessions at those days that they have them and throughout the course of their lives that they 
they always say whenever they're asked that they never really remember them because that is not what they're there to do. They're there to bring forgiveness. I mean, can you imagine if they held on to like decades worth of confessions? I mean, that would be a nightmare. They've heard, you know, confessions from prisoners and in jails and, you know, terrible things. Uh, if they held into, onto all of that, it would just be miserable. No one would want to become a priest. They'd all be, you know, under psychiatric evaluation probably. Um, and so it's important to mention here that priests in the confessional are bound by what's called the seal of confession. And that means that they would be excommunicated, kicked out of the church, lose all privileges of the priesthood if they even mention any of our sins to anyone else. Even if they are under the threat of death, jail time, or punishment, they cannot reveal it. That is because they're there to heal, not to judge. But if someone confesses something very serious, the priest can obviously encourage that person to do the right thing to ensure reparation or justice is able to occur, but the priest can't do it on their own. So if I confess to a priest that I murdered their family, that priest couldn't even call the police to give an anonymous tip. That's how serious the church takes our healing and our need for forgiveness and mercy. So there is nothing to fear in the confessional. There is only hope and new life. That is because it was instituted by Christ himself. Now he obviously forgave sins multiple times in scripture as we saw with the paralytic, but he gives this power as well to the disciples after his resurrection. This is from the Gospel of John. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit, whose sins you forgive are forgiven them and whose sins you retain are retained. Pretty clear the authority he gives priests in the first apostles, and the church continues that today. Only ordained priests and bishops can facilitate reconciliation because they can trace that authority to Jesus and the apostles themselves. Only God can forgive sins, but he entrusted the process of bringing people his forgiveness uh, to the apostles and to those he gave the power and authority to in our modern day priests and bishops. And lastly, this sacrament gives grace not only through forgiving us, but we actually receive a special grace to prevent us from committing further sins in the future. That's why it's so great to go to confession regularly, because even if we don't have anything serious to say, we're strengthened against committing sins in the future. Well, how do we make sure we receive that grace? Well, we've got to go to confession first of all, but the important thing is we actually have to be sorry for our sins. We have to make an honest commitment and resolve to never commit them again to the best of our ability. Now, if we have a plan to commit that sin the next day, we're obviously not sorry. We're attached to that sin and it will not be forgiven. To make a good confession, uh, the sacrament of reconciliation has four parts, contrition, confession, absolution, and satisfaction. And so reconciliation does not actually begin in the confessional. It starts with that first part, contrition, which, which means being sorry for your sins. We actually have to recognize, I've sinned, I wanna be better, I wanna be back in right relationship with God. And then we do an examination of conscience and we prepare uh, to go to confession. Now the second step, when we go to confession, we tell the priest, we can tell the priest if we need help, if we uh, haven't been in a while, uh, they can walk us through it. But generally what happens, we go in and we start by saying something along the lines of, bless me, Father, for I've sinned. It's been this long since my last confession. And then we list our mortal sins in number and kind, as well as any venial sins we'd like to mention. And if you accidentally forget one, God knows you intended to, to confess it and it's forgiven. But if you purposely forget one, you're holding on to it and it is not forgiven. 
If you feel bad about confessing the same sins over and over and over again, don't worry. You know, we all have that same sin that we tend to go back to. Would you rather walk in and say, uh, oh, hey, Father, I tried a whole bunch of new stuff this week. Like either way, whatever the situation is, habitual or new stuff, we list them and then we let them know that we're done by saying something like, for these and all the sins of my life, we're truly sorry. Or you can just say, and that's it. And so the priest may then give you some words for advice. He may ask questions for clarification. He may ask you to pray what's called an act of contrition. There's usually copies of that in the confessional for you. And he'll give you certain prayers or tasks to do after your confession as a penance. Let him know if you don't know what some of those prayers are. And remember that your forgiveness of those sins does not depend on your penance. And so if you forget, you are forgiven whether you do that or not. Next, he will speak the words of absolution. Uh, this is the next part of confession. This actually forgives us of our sins. He says these words, God, the father of mercies through the death and resurrection of his son has reconciled the world to himself and sent the Holy Spirit among us for the forgiveness of sins. Through the ministry of the church, may God give you pardon and peace and I absolve you from your sins in the name of the father and of the son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. And then you usually say thank you and you go and do your penance, which begins that last part of the process of reconciliation, which is called satisfaction for our sins. And that is the process of undoing the effect that sin has on our soul. Catechism says that absolution takes sins away, but it does not remedy all the disorders sin has caused. So for instance, if you rack up all this credit card debt, yes, you may pay it all off, but there may still be some damaged relationships that you have to go fix from spending that much money. Most of our satisfaction will actually happen in purgatory. But we can do some of those things on earth through penance and through practices like pilgrimages, devotions, and indulgences. Go back to episode 8 uh, if you want to remember more about that. Listen, God wants to heal you. Not to make you feel judged, ashamed, or unworthy. And so when we feel guilt, that's good because it reminds us something is wrong. But the devil wants to turn that guilt into shame and make us feel like we're bad, we're unredeemable, we're dirty, we're not lovable. There is nothing that you can do to make God stop loving you. The only sin God cannot and will not forgive is the sin that you do not ask forgiveness for. He wants to heal you. He wants to welcome you home. And he wants you to be made whole again, body and soul. He will not force us. He waits for us to come home. So what are you waiting for? Come home and seek him in the sacraments of reconciliation. And if you need it, anointing of the sick. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Amen.